welcome back to Burnt Ends, Briskets and Barbecues. My name is Ben Hobson and this is the podcast where I interview your favourite authors about their favourite books and I'm here with the remarkable, brilliant Mark Smith who I'm very glad to have on my podcast and we're going to be here talking about one of his favourite novels uh, which is Robbie Arnott's Limber Lost. So Mark, first of all, how are you? You've, you've just, we've just been talking about some training you've been getting into. Yeah, I'm well, thanks, Ben, and thanks for having me on. Uh, it's always a privilege to talk to you um, and for that lovely introduction. Uh, yeah, look, we, I, I'm in training at the moment. Uh, next month, uh, my wife and I are heading off to Europe to do a walk. Uh, we're doing a called the Coast to Coast Walk from one side of the UK to the other, 300 Ks. And um, so I've just been trying to get Ks into the legs and um it's we haven't done that sort of distance before we've just recently come back from doing the three capes walk down in tassie which was just i've been wanting to do that with my son oh do it yeah honestly it is one of the most i've I've been bushwalking for i don't know 40 odd years that that is a highlight and that that includes yeah that includes a lot of walking overseas in nepal and but the three capes is a highlight absolutely stunning I'll have to um I'll have to pick your brain on that because I've been yeah. wanting to do something significant for when he enters high school to sort of, you know, show him that he can persevere and do big challenges and be with him and do that sort yeah. of thing. Um yeah. he's, so he'll be like eleven or twelve. Do you think a person that age will be capable of it? Um yeah, I think so, for sure. Um it's the the maximum is about uh you do about twenty two Ks one day. But okay. because it's because the capes are sort of, you, you drop your pack. You work, walk with that pack on your back for a lot of the time, but you drop your pack for most of the the sort of longer sections at the at the top of the track. You head out to the cape and you come back. Okay. So you come back to your pack and then you head on again. And um, but visually, oh my god, just just stunning, absolutely okay. stunning. You got yeah. me sides. Yeah. I got to I got to plan it. I got to do it. I got to do it. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about this novel, though, because uh, I'm embarrassed to say I had never read a Robbie Arnott book. I know I'm very late to this party, um, this being his third novel. Uh, but and I think this is, can I, can I be honest with you, Mark? I don't, not many people choose Australian authors. Like, this is the first time I'm sort of speaking, thinking that maybe Robbie might even end up listening to this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But my gosh, you know, and not to, not to, um, that's not to say I won't be honest about the book, but man, it's, it's, you've chosen such a beautiful novel. But uh, yeah, can you tell us the story? Why did you choose this novel? How did you first encounter his writing? Do you know him personally, et cetera? Um, A number of questions there. Firstly, (laughs) I've I've read, uh, I loved his first book, Flames. I I adored the Rain Heron and they got really big, you know, they got really big write-ups and I I thought that's a big reputation to have to deal with. And Mm. um, so in this third book, oh, my God, you know, it it just knocked me sideways. Um, And there's so many reasons. Can I stop you just really quickly? How is it? Because I haven't read his first two. How is it different? Yeah. Like you sort of, it sounds like you're saying it's a bit of a, a different vibe. Yeah, it's it's quite a different vibe. It's still very much that, and we'll talk about, I'll talk about this, the Tasmanian novel. Mm. Um, but uh, there's, the, the first two have, have very strong elements of magical realism or um, fabulism in them. 
Um, and it's that that kind of carries the the narrative as well in them. This okay. is much more this is much more centered, you know, in its its reality, um, its realism, and it's just uh, it's just so beautifully constructed. But mm-hmm. um, but the, when I when I before I read it, I someone told me what the story was about. And I thought, oh my god. Robbie Arnott has looked into my family history and he has found this and this is he's sort of extracted it from my oh wow from my family because um uh my dad uh was 12 years old when the second world war broke out hmm. and he had uh, an older brother bill who was 10 years older than him and bill enlisted and went to war and never came back um and um dad uh, lived in he didn't live in an orchard but uh, he lived uh, in an area of Victoria called uh, in Mount Disappointment which is his parents worked for the Board of Works which was all of the, the water supply for Melbourne but he had this magnificent childhood in the bush hunting and fishing and and he during the Second World War he hunted and shot trapped and shot rabbits to sell the pelts for the slouch hats he would take them to Melbourne with his dad what the and heck? sell the pelts. This is that's, the book. That's true. That's is the true. Book. That, yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, so, uh, so that was, and that was very much embedded in our family's history, you know, because Dad would tell these how many of the tales were real and how many were fictional. We, we don't know, <laughs> but it was very much, and it was like it was like Robbie had been there, you know. Uh, that's amazing. And um, and I thought that, uh, and I thought he portrayed that that longing, you know, like. Um, the central character in Limberloss, Ned, has has the older brother. Um, is it Bill as well? Yeah, Bill. Bill and there's another brother. There's two brothers. And Toby. Yeah. 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 So Bill was the older. Bill was my dad's older brother. That was his name. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, um, and Bill, my, my dad's Bill, uh, was a Spitfire pilot. He got shot down um, and disappeared. Um, so 1942, so... Dad had to live with that. He was the only other male, or the only mm. other uh, male sibling. Had three other sisters uh, in between, and and then this is kind of going off track a little bit. But yeah, you're right. in in 2012, uh, when Bill had been missing for 69 years, uh, his body and plane, or the, his plane and the remains of his body, were found dug up in a French field. What? Uh, and um, and my by that stage my dad was the only sibling still alive, being the youngest, and we all went to, we went with dad to France wow. um, to internment ceremony of you know obviously there wasn't much left of him but they found you know some significant remains in the plane um, and had this reinternment ceremony in this little village called Casal in northern France and it was one of the most moving incredible yeah. moments of my life to be able to be there with dad when that happened and um yeah. dad actually got the opportunity to to uh you know to give the eulogy for his brother 69 years later that's that's remarkable i can't even yeah wow yeah absolutely yeah and, he, and um one of the things that dad passed away in 2017 but one of the things that he handed on was bill's letters to his mum that he would send back. So that whole, you know, the way in which Robbie 
talks about, you know, just the lack of information that was coming. They were, especially for the older sister, um, for Maggie and for the father, longing to find out because obviously he's been, he's been captured in Singapore or the fall of Singapore they talk about. Uh, and, um, and that, again, that mirrors, like, my, my grandmother would, I don't know whether you know, knew this, but during the Second World War they would, the newspapers would publish photographs of prisoners of war and there would be hundreds of them all in this one photo and you can imagine the, you know, the quality of the photo. But mm. my grandmother would sit there all day looking for her son, trying to wow. find him and she'd be certain that she'd found him, you know, that, that he'd survived. Oh, that's heartbreaking. So, yeah, and, that, that, and when that was mirrored in Limberlost, mm. that... That thing of we we you know other people are getting letters. Why aren't we getting letters? What's happened? You know, and and where is our son? Uh, I thought that was that was beautifully portrayed. So that was that was reason number one for, for yeah, coming geez, to this such a personal connection. Yeah, yeah. Um, and other than that, I, I've I've met Robbie only very briefly, mm. and um, uh, when we were both down in uh, down in Tassie for an awards ceremony way back. Yeah, um, when Flames was just coming out, and he also contributed a story to um, to the Minds Went Walking anthology, oh, the, awesome. um, the Paul Kelly one. So I haven't read one of the story. First, yeah, one of the first writers that we wanted to get into that anthology, and he wrote a, a great little story. So, um, so he's one of those, you know, part of the network that you kind of know and you'd love to sit down and, and chat to. Yeah, um, yeah. But, um, but I, yeah, and as, as writers, like, wouldn't it be great if we could just have a workplace and go and hang out at lunch break and sit around the table? Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, isn't that kind of the way the green room works at, at yes. festivals? You no, know, when, you, when you get that opportunity, just come and sit with someone. And that's why, you know, people say, oh, I love, love the festivals for the appearances and the panels and stuff. I love it for just the opportunity you get to network with other yes. writers. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and catch up with people. Like, it's just so rare and so isolating, this industry. Um, yeah. I thought something else that he did really well um, in the book too, when you're talking about this sense of not knowing, was also just how people just had to sort of get on and just had to just, it was almost like they found other ways of maybe inventing meaning or purpose. And, you know, we've just got, well, you know, they were also surviving and working jobs and things like mm. that. But um, Ned's particular longing for this boat, I think, is just so special. And it's such a simple, it's such a simple disarming kind of goal. Yeah. So moving when he finds this this boat, um, which which is made of a, a type of timber, Huon yeah. pine, um, yeah. that no one knew um, that it was made. It's sort of like he found something special in his life. And it's... I don't know. Do you think that that a lot of that is coming from the family's, or maybe even Ned's, uh, inability to to invest into um, just waiting, just waiting to hear about his brothers? I mean, it's yeah. sort of a distraction in a way. Yeah, I do. The the boat is a really interesting motif that that's used by by Robbie because it kind of it kind of symbolizes for Ned. Um, mm a little freedom escape adventure and that must have and and kind of and away from what though well away from that waiting that longing 
and that brooding of his father, mm. the silence of his sister, all of those things that are that are central to the to those characters. And but this was this was something that that Ned could have of his own, you know. And yeah, special and to him. Like, yeah. yeah, and this this love affair, and he even he even struggles to share it with his with his mate, you know. Um, uh, is it Jack Bird? Yeah, Jack Bird. Um, but I also thought uh, I'm really interested in what you think about this. That when he did actually get the boat out onto the water, so much of it uh, was taking his sister out, was yes. taking Maggie out yeah. on the boat. And I and I th- I think I I think I know why. But what 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 are your thoughts on that? That's interesting. I hadn't actually thought of that question particularly. I don't know. It's just. He, I don't know whether he's trying to impress people. I don't think he's trying to impress people. I think there's something deeper going on. Like on the surface, you could say he's just trying to say, well, look, I'm special too. I've got something to offer. And I think he even talks about that a little bit in how he thinks about his brothers, that he wants to be there for his sister the way that they were special to her. But I don't know. I think there's something else going on there where he's sort of, what What, what are your thoughts? You're probably much more articulate than I am. Uh- <laughs> no, I've really just thought about this at the time, but um, but I think I think he was desperate for some sort of a, acknowledgement, mm. some sort of affirmation for this is something that I can do that's specific to me. Yeah, um, and he, he he gains that with the boat, and he gets out on the boat. But I also think there's a I, I struggle with that. Oh, why is Matt? What's the thing with Maggie? Why is the older sister? And why why was that happening? And I could only think that. She's the one who carries the story that her mother had told her about being a sailor. Mm-hmm. So Ned's mother and Maggie's mother had been a sailor in the Lakes District um, in England, where she'd come from. She'd been, you know, been out on the water. And I guess it was the way of relaying that story mm-hmm. uh, and bringing that into the narrative because Ned never knew his mum. Yeah. Maggie is the only one there on the farm apart from the the father, of course, that has a memory of Ned's mum, yeah, um, and and Maggie is almost she's almost mute, you know. She um, she's a silent sort of person, and and we understand <laughs> why towards yeah. the end. We understand what she's been waiting for as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I just thought it was the whole the whole boat thing, and and the boat then becomes central to one of the most tragic things that happens. As well, which we won't give away, but um, but yeah, this sort of is emblematic of that. Uh, this was his means of escape in some yeah. way, and also, and we, look, we've got to talk about, don't we? We've got to talk about just the 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 nature writing in this yes. book. I've got that and, mentioned down here. I mean, it's remarkable. Um, I, I just you read these books. And it, it, in equal measures, moves you but pisses you off at the same time. Like I'm, I'm moved as a reader, but as a as a person, as a writer, it pisses me off because I'm like, how does he do it? And I don't know how to unpick it. Like it's so elegant yeah. and profound and so, almost simple, simplistic, yeah. but it's so beautiful. Yeah, um, I 100% agree, and I and I feel that myself as a writer while I'm reading it. Um, and it is, uh, I'm trying to figure out how he's doing this to me. Um, yeah. And I, I understand 
And the only way I can explain it is that it goes back to, you're right in the simplicity of the sentence structure, but so many of those sentences are just beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. It's beautiful writing at the sentence level. And I think that the the magic trick that, that Robbie Arnott pulls off here is that I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very critical, as a writer, I'm a very critical reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for the plot to fall over. I'm waiting for the, <laughs> I'm waiting to see the plot holes. I'm, like a false I'm nose here or there, yeah. Yeah. Um, and none of that, none of that happens here with, with, um, with Limberlost. But, um, but what he does is, I, I think there are a lot of writers, I think there are a lot of writers who can write beautiful sentences. I just don't think there are a lot of writers, particularly in Australia at the moment, that can write beautiful sentences and still carry the story and till, still tell you a terrific story, you yeah. know. Um, and I think, mm. uh, I think, uh, I think a lot of not a lot, but some writing in Australia is celebrated for those beautiful sentences, mm. but but mm. they're just not telling the story. I, I want to, you know, and maybe that's. That's just me as a writer and me as a reader saying, you know, story is that that narrative drive is really important to me. Yeah. Um, and, and unless that narrative, yeah, unless I'm seeing it developing, I'm losing interest, no matter how beautiful sentences might be. All right. Well, um, this is a beautiful transition into a new segment I do on my show, which is called Bad Reads. <laughs> I need a theme song or something. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, bad reads. Yeah. So yeah. bad reads is where I go because I don't know how you go, but whenever I go on Goodreads, I'll enjoy I enjoy loving a book and then reading negative reviews of that book because it just makes right. me understand that there's all sorts of people who come to books in all different sorts of ways. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting because it's not your work. So Robbie, if you're listening, I'm very sorry about this. <laughs> I can read a negative review of Goodreads, but it's actually on what you were just talking about. So this is what it says. Sure, it's good writing, but so descriptive and plotless. I like how descriptive is a negative in this review. It's really funny. So descriptive and plotless, it was like swimming against a current. A lot of effort for little reward, two stars. So I guess my question for you, and I actually thought of this myself, it's not a conventional story. You were just talking about how it's a story, right? It's not conventional. It's almost like a character study. There's no real antagonist. I would say that Ned is almost his own. I don't even think his father's against him. I think it's in his head a little bit. So yeah. I'm wondering for you, like, to me, I was, I read this in a day. Like, mm. I loved it. I was pulled yeah. through it. I thought it was a beautiful story. But yeah. I think there's just the, for people who read it, some people say, well, there's no plot. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts were on that, the idea of plot versus character, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there are different ways in which writers carry plot. Mm. And this, like, it, um, I, I, came to, I came to this, I came back to, I very rarely read a book twice, but I, I went back to read this the second time because I knew we were going to have this chat. Mm. And and again, I flew through it. Um, and yeah. That, yeah. that that says a lot for me. Um, I think it what it does for me as a reader is it, it ticks all the boxes that I want in mm. a in a novel. And I under, I don't I see where that, you know, 
whoever whoever the punter is on Goodreads, and that, that could be twelve year old kid, you know, somewhere just taking the piss, but because you never know. But um, but and we've I've, we've all got those reviews, I'm sure, you know. Yeah, that, every, so, every book uh, does. Yeah, and I've just come from uh, reading um, Ashley Clage and Blunt's uh, Dark Mode, oh, which you know, if you, you're talking about a plot, wang, 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 you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it flies through that book because it's it's got good characters, but the plot, you know, it's a it's your it's your, it's your page turner. Yeah, um, and then to come back for a second reading of Limber Lost after that, I actually enjoyed the way the narrative meandered a little bit. Yes, and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time, um, and I think it's one of the one of the things that Robbie does, and he does it in his other novels as well. And that is, um, he gives the reader time to feel, yeah, time to, to consider, to breathe, mm. you know. Um, and and I think he like, I'm reading some parts, and I, I just have to read that paragraph again because because of the beautiful language that he yeah. has used and the way that he has expressed it, particularly in his description of nature, because um, I'm a sucker for, for really good nature writing. Mm. And I think that I, I didn't, I thought there was significant enough narrative drive yeah. to, keep me, to keep me pushing through. I think that probably your average punter might be a little bit distracted by the switching in time. I um, wanted to talk to you about that. There were, yeah. there were a couple of people mentioned that. Uh, again, yeah. I found, but that's like, to me, and this is, you know, again, with this, I'm not arguing with people. Everyone can have their own opinions, absolutely warranted and fine. But to me, the switching in the, like the little glimpses you see of him as like a, a logger at one stage, and then he's mm. he's got a relationship with his with his wife and he marries her and he's got two um, or three young girls and then they're mm. older and they're arguing these little glimpses into his future just made the book feel very reflective and it yeah. made the whole thing feel like it's not hurried, you know, mm. it's very patient. Mm. And yeah. I think that, yeah, there's a lot of books that we read nowadays and a lot of media we consume that is just that very quick thing, but it was so pleasant to, to spend some time thinking rather than, yeah, yeah I did, did, do you think that there's a, a distinction sometimes? And I'm not saying this is like a plotless. Like I do feel like it does pull yeah. you through absolutely. But there's a difference between like an emotional depth and then like entertainment. And sometimes those two things don't necessarily line up sometimes, I think. Yeah, I think I think if you can find, obviously if you can find the balance between those with, with enough kind of entertainment to keep yeah. the reader turning the page. Um, but the other thing that I'd say in relation to that is this book is only 226 pages long. Now, I don't know what that translates to. I think maybe 50, 45,000 words. Um, and what is achieved in those 45,000 words? <laughs> the whole um, life. <laughs> is, yeah, is all of that, that that I would struggle to write in double that yes. amount of time. Yeah, so um, like with that. that With that amount of emotional weight and that, that amount of character development and... Uh, you know everything that's going on for young Ned. Um, I, I just felt as though I was I was in his world, mm. and and yeah, that, sure. that, that that how you do that as a writer? Oh God, you know if, if I had that. <laughs> yeah, when I was saying earlier that I was, it pissed me off. It's just jealousy. That's all it is. Mm. Just absolute jealousy. Well, me, yeah, me too. There's um, a magic in there that yeah. 
It is. It's so, and it's so, it feels so precise as well. Like there's not a wasted moment. Like every moment has this weight of significance. And I, I really love those jumps because again, it makes you, it makes you feel like Ned is considering his life, you know? And yeah. I really appreciate that because when I read a book like that, it makes me take some time to consider my own life. And again, we're so busy in our modern day. Like I find those moments quite rare. And then to have a book sort of open that for me, it's quite quite magical. Like I don't know how many spaces there are in life nowadays where you have that. Like I had to go camping to to, to force myself off the phone so I could read the book, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I also think that, you know, those... um, those sort of forward narratives where we see Ned as an older, a slightly older, and then, you know, where he's working on sheep stations on the mainland, then, as you said, as he's, when he's married, et cetera, um, and what happens with his wife and with his family. Mm. Um, I, I think that character of Ned is still entirely consistent with the 12-year-old Ned that we 100%. see yeah. in the main part back at the orchard at, at Limberlost. Um, and even the thought patterns are very similar, albeit they're from an old man, you know. Yes. yes. Um, but yes. there's still that that kind of uh, tongue-tied um, kind of uncertainty yes. about how to express his emotions and how to come to terms with what's going on around him and how he expresses that to other people. Um, he it was the same with the loggers when he was out you know, working with the loggers and he was somehow separate to them um, and, and observing them and observing their violence and their language and but he was not a part of them. He also, and, it's sort of how he feels about everything in his life. He yeah. feels different, set apart. Yeah. It's a recurring yeah. theme, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, to, yeah, go on. You have something else to add? Go on. Well, I, something else I also love to do is I love to bring out quotes from the authors about this business of writing and just to get you to reflect on it. So I found one that Robbie said this, there are two main impediments to writing and they are distractions and the need to make money through non-writing work. Uh, do you agree with that? Is that the two main impediments to writing? Uh I think he's, he's not far wrong and uh, we've, you know, we constantly battle um, and, and a lot of us have to have day jobs in order to support the, the writing that we do. Yes, um, I think most. And, that, and, those, and, and we have families and we have life and we have all of those things that, we, we, you know, we're talking about distractions. We're not, I assume he's not just talking about phones and devices. He's talking about, I, I would think, you know, everything everything that goes on in life around you, you know, yeah. which, which you can draw on for inspiration to write as well, but it can also take time, mm-hmm. you know. It takes time away from the writing task. Mm-hmm. Um, and for my own process, I, I find that I write, in, I write in slabs. So I'll go into writing mode and I'll write in writing mode for a month or two months, and that means yeah. getting up every morning, you know, doing that, doing the two, three hours. Um, and then I'll lie fallow. I'm lying fallow at the moment. You know, and um, and there's a you certain do. amount of there's a certain amount of writer's guilt that goes with that. You know, yes, hundred percent. Oh, what if I can't do it anymore? What if I what if I forget how to write? You know, buried um, but, in the buddy. Yeah, uh, yeah, and but it's whatever works for you as a writer. So, yeah, and and earning a living 
you know, um, we're all trying to do that. If we could just do it out of writing, then awesome. But not very many people that I know can. No, no. And I, I actually find sometimes that a lot of my writing gets done while I'm doing other things. Um, I'll have an idea for something or something will spark something else. But yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the making time that can be quite difficult. Mm. Um, yeah, okay. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Like I'm, 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 I love this book. And uh, I really hope that I get to meet Robbie one day and express that to him. Um, but it's just yeah. what an incredible. Yeah. There's, a, there's a question. There's a question that I want to ask you. Go ahead. Um, um, the whale. Okay, mm. the whale that is supposedly encountered on the boat. Oh, so was, the whale, yeah. was the whale real? Ooh. Did the whale happen? Did it happen at all? I think so. I didn't, I came away thinking it happened. Yeah. I, I came away thinking that that was a, do you think it wasn't real? Well, I, the way which is referred to, like it is, it's another one of those, one of those sort of focal points that it comes back to that night on the boat and the, and I'm not sure the, whether the rearing up of the whale is, is literal yeah. or whether that is symbolic or metaphorical in some way. Um, of what was happening with between them, between the brothers and between the father. And the, um, when I first read the book, I thought, you know, the, the whale incident definitely happened. The whale must have reared up out of the water and it had a harpoon stuck in its head and it was crazy. Um, and then um, I, when, when I went back and reread the book and the way in which it's referred to, that incident was referred to mm. again and again, um, and even the symbolism of what, who gave him the coat and why they gave him that coat, who it was. Mm. Um, I thought that um, I, I started to question whether it actually happened or not or whether that was in his imagination. It was the waiting that was the thing. The waiting was what was killing him. That's so interesting. That's such yeah. an interesting insight. That's so clever if that's the reason that that's there too. Like I just yeah. thought it was like a little cute little relationship moment but yeah to think of the significance of it in a in a deeper way yeah. i thought it was yeah i guess in looking back on it whether or not it's actually reared up maybe because then later on the father sort of describes it as being um just a pot of whales and it's it's much calmer yeah. in that reflection yeah. so whether or not yeah. that's the thing that's happened in his mind and whether it's imagined or not yeah, I don't have an answer for it, but I and I also love the fact that uh, that I question that that that's yeah, yeah. That that's what he's done to me, you bastard, yeah. you know. Like, um, <laughs> and it's um, it's not giving that whole resolution. I mean, a, I think that I think the ending of this book is beautiful. You know, it it takes a bit to make. Well, actually, it doesn't take that much to make me cry. I cry at the work cover ads, but but you know the um, but I had tears in my eyes reading that. You know that that final section of the book. Yeah, um, and and there's been tragedy before that in the book as well. But that was it's just really significant. Maybe that was because that it tied in with my own family history as well. That it had that yeah. deeper significance. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it is. I mean, I I can't obviously. I don't. I don't know that. But it is a beautiful, beautiful book. Yeah. Um, can I just finish on? Can I just finish on one quote that? Yeah. I went. I went looking for went looking for reviews as well, the same as you, but mm -hmm. I went to more reputable sources. <laughs> <laughs> I did read good reviews um, as well. And um, um, 
I think it's Imogen um, Dewey in The Guardian, and yeah. she just like this. I hadn't even thought about this, um, and it's about the character of Ned. And she says, Ned's failures and errors aren't presented as moments of transformation or growth. They're allowed simply to stand as part of the whole. You know, the way in which we, as writers, we try to use those, those mm -hmm. you know, our failures or our errors or um, things we haven't done as well as, as, as being transformational, as being I learnt from that, I understood, and now I will do things differently. But in Ned's case, that it, she's right, it doesn't happen. He, mm. They're just allowed to stand as part of that whole, you know, world that he was in and the person that he was. Uh, that's and I think that was, that's that, really interesting because you know, that, that is sort of like a schlocky, you can, that does come sometimes end up being this schlocky kind of character arc. I always think of the Truman Show, which I actually love that movie, but yeah. remember where he has a fear of the water because father. Yeah drowned and then he has to go over the bridge and then oh look he can conquer his fear now yeah um yeah yeah it can get a little schlocky and you're right he yeah. just it's sort of it's actually kind of beautiful it's like he's he's okay or maybe it's like robbie's okay just showing us this person and it's like it's not yeah. passing like he doesn't need to fix things about yes. himself that's really yeah. kind of yeah. sweet yeah that's a really and i think it's part. It also it's also mirrored then in those you know in those forward narratives as well. Mm. Um, it's consistent with that's why the character is so consistent. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's you know I could I could deconstruct this novel all day because I think it's beautiful. I think it's so well done. Yes, it um, is. And it's it's not a it's for me it's not a perfect novel, but bloody hell, it's close. As a writer, uh, you know. I, Bloody close, and to achieve what he does in in two hundred twenty pages, it's, it's just a significant achievement. Yeah, he's um, it's a talent. It's a, he's a real oh. talent that Australia has. Australia has a lot of really amazing authors. Yeah. Um, I think there's something in the air down in Tasmania too. Like they they produce. Yeah, they really you do. Know, uh, you know, you got Robbie Arnott and Richard Flanagan and Amanda Laurie and Ryan Wilson, All of those. Heather All Robert. of those writers, yeah, um, magnificent writers. They yes, we should move there. You you come from yeah. yeah well, I mean, I mean, it's one of the other reasons that I love this book so much is I, I've got this love affair with Tassie. I've been there. I was trying to think when we we're preparing for this. I reckon at least thirty odd times been down to Tassie. So um, a little writing shack down there that my sister owns at Falmouth on the east coast. And, really, I need. Can um, I? I want to be. I want to be honest. I've said this on Twitter actually. For my 30th birthday, I was either going to spend money on getting myself a laptop or finally going to Tasmania, which was a big dream of mine. So I, I went yeah. when I was very young for two days in the band and I went yeah. in the middle of winter and I didn't realize that Hobart was cold and I had to go to <laughs> a shop and I stayed on some punk band's floor and then the next day we flew out. Didn't see much, but I loved it. Yeah. And then for my 30th... Um, it was either go to Tasmania or get the laptop, and I chose to get a laptop, which I then right. subsequently wrote all my books on. Yeah, well, yeah. But I have been dreaming of going to Tasmania. I watch Tasmania documentaries. I yeah. want to go down into that cold, cold place and sit next to a fire and look at the – I'm just – Yeah. 
I'm, I, and it's I not, a, it's not all, so it's not all a cold, cold place either. I've been there quite a lot in summer and that, that East Coast miss, is, mate, I'm from Victoria and I live in Queensland. <laughs> I want that cold yeah. relief of like, yeah. I'm, I'm swimming in the fresh air. Yeah. Oh, uh, so you, can, long. you can take the boy out of Yarram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I just, I, I love. I really want to go and spend some time in Tassie, but I'm turning 40 next year. So huh. my, hopefully my goal is to to spend some time there for my 40th. Yeah. I've got a laptop. Great plan. <laughs> Great plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Thanks, Mark. I just, yeah, I'm so glad that you chose this book um, and I'll have to go back and read his other, other books, I think, because mm. um, very profound um, and yeah. beautiful work. So, um, uh, yeah, so... Um, uh, Limber Lost by Robbie Arnott. Go pick it up and have a read of it. It's it. I read it in a day and it's beautiful. And I've I've heard it might be there's some rumblings about it being up for the Miles Franklin um, this year. Yeah, it's it was just this week uh, named on the shortlist for the Age Book of the Year as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So it's it's set to to take the world by storm. But anyway, Mark, thank you so much. You're a lovely man, and good luck with your trek if I don't speak to you before. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. Great. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course. Honestly, anytime. (laughs) All right, thanks. (laughs)